and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. Thank you very much for joining me today. This episode is my conversation with Nir Eyal, the author of Indistractable and Hooked, two New York Times best-selling books. He is very interested and focused on the idea of becoming indistractable, which is a book I've reviewed on the podcast in the early episodes. In being indistractable is about not getting distracted. It is a word that Nir made up. He coined the term himself and is spending his life explaining it to people through his work. The idea of indistractable is that we are not a slave to our distractions. We are not a slave to our impulses and that we can just beat things like procrastination and avoiding tasks that we need to do. Quite a timely episode for me because I'm spending a lot of time doing things that I shouldn't be doing and not doing the things that I should be doing. So this episode, it was really, really helpful for me and hopefully it will be helpful for you as well. But before we get into it, just a quick word from the sponsors of the show. A Need to Read is very proudly sponsored by BetterHelp and BetterHelp are an online therapy provider. Therapy is one of the many things that have changed my life over the last couple of years, but mostly therapy has helped me with my emotions. Being open and honest about my emotions, being able to express myself freely has come from work that I've done in therapy that has improved my relationship with myself my relationship with my family and my relationship with my friends therapy without a doubt has made a profound change on my life and I suggest everyone give it a go however you don't have to listen to me but if you would like to head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read you'll get 10% off your first month of online therapy you can just run through a very quick questionnaire it'll take you about five or ten minutes once you've run through that match with a therapist within 48 hours of signing up so that is betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read now without further ado here's my conversation with Nir Eyal it's been a while since since I've read your book so it's been quite nice having to jump back into it for researching for this podcast but the book Indistractable where did that come from well it it came from my own need (laughs) I write books (laughs) when I need them. And uh, most of the time when I have a problem in my life, I just do some research and uh, have some conversations with trusted friends and maybe read a book or two and that's enough. Um, but in every once in a while, about every five years, I come across a problem that um, when I read other people's take on the topic, they just don't cut it. And so when I found myself fighting with this problem of distraction, I went to you know read all the books on the topic that I find. And they basically said, Similar veins of, you know, technology is the problem. Technology is addicting you. Technology is melting your brain. Stop using technology. Well, thanks, stupid. Like, I I can't do that. (laughs) I need these tools for my livelihood. Uh, And and why would I want to? They're fantastic. I mean, here we are talking, you know, uh, vast distances apart and we're able to communicate. And especially during this pandemic. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine how much worse this pandemic would have been if we didn't have these technologies to connect us? So I wanted a a realistic approach. And um, in fact, even when I tried the techniques that, that, that some of these um, books professed around, you know, stop using your cell phone, throw it out, you know, go into digital detox, it didn't freaking help. No. <laughs> like I, I took their advice. Like I got myself a flip phone, you know, the kind we used to use in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, and I got myself a word processor uh, from eBay. That, so it had no apps, no internet connection. And I would sit down at my desk and, and write and say, okay, here, here I go. I'm not going to get distracted. Nothing's going to get in my way. 
And the thing is, there's that book on the bookshelf that I've been meaning, meaning to check out. And, you know, the trash needs to be taken out. And look at my desk. It's such a mess. Let me, let me just do those things. And I kept getting distracted, even from things that had nothing to do with technology. So that's when I realized that I really had to go deep. And I didn't see any other books that, that looked at the academic literature on why we get distracted in the first place. This is not a new problem, just to be very clear. Uh, you know, Plato, the Greek philosopher, talked about this problem 2,500 years ago. He called it akrasia, the tendency to do things against our better interest. So it can't be technology's fault that we're getting distracted if people have been dis getting distracted for at least 2,500 years before the internet. So, uh, so yeah. I wanted to really explore the deeper reasons why I kept going off track. Okay. And um, what was it that kind of made you realize like, oh, I'm, I'm getting too distracted? Well, for me, there were there were a few moments. I think probably the thing that stuck out most was um, I was I was with my daughter uh, one afternoon, and we had this beautiful day planned, just some you know quality daddy daughter time. And I remember we had this activity book of different things that dads dads and daughters could do together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question: that if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said. Because for whatever reason, I don't remember why, I got distracted. I started looking at my phone and I blew it. You know, I, I had this perfect <laughs> daddy-daughter moment that that you know was was gone because the time I by the time I looked up from my device, my daughter had left the room uh, because I was sending her a very clear signal that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. Yeah. And that's when I knew I, I needed to do something about this. And and you know, if I'm honest with you, it wasn't just with her. It would happen when I would say to myself, oh, I'm definitely going to exercise today. I'm definitely going to eat right. And I didn't, and I wouldn't. It would happen when I would say to myself, I'm definitely going to focus on that big, important project at work. And yet 20, 30, 45 minutes after I said I was going to get started, I was doing everything but the project I said I was going to work on. So, you know, I, I think today the big problem that people have is not that they don't know what to do, right? Today, we all know what to do. Who, who doesn't know that if you want to lose weight, you have to eat right and exercise? Does, does yeah. anybody need a diet book to tell you that? We, we know that. Does anybody know that if you want to have great relationships with the people you love, you have to be fully present? Does anybody not know that if you want to excel at your job, you have to do the work, especially the hard yeah. stuff that other people don't want to do? So the problem is no longer that we don't know what to do. The problem is we don't know how to stop getting in our own way. And so that's really what I wanted to explore for myself uh, more than anyone was why is it that despite knowing exactly what I wanted to do, uh, I didn't do it. Why I keep going off track? And I think I can't think of a, a more important macro skill, right? If you're not reading the kind of books you want to read, if you're not uh, meditating, if you're not exercising, if you're not performing at work the way you want, if you don't have the kind of relationships you need to have. The, the reason why is distraction. It's not that you don't know how to, what to do. Uh, many people, you know, go from book to book to book, looking for answers, asking gurus and taking courses. Almost always, there are some exceptions. You know, we know yeah. what to do. And if you don't know what to do, frankly, you know, thank goodness for the internet, just Google it. <laughs> you can right. find an answer to most questions uh, because somebody's already written something for you. But what they can't tell you how to do uh, is, is, is how to analyze what's going on in your own life, it's preventing you from doing the things you know you need to do. And so that's, that's really what becoming indistractable is all about. Becoming indistractable is about being the kind of person who strives to do what they say they're going to do. They live with personal integrity. They're honest with themselves as they are with others. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've recently... Und undergone a journey that has reminded me that it is distraction and it's not tech that is the problem i i've got a real thing about screen time at the moment i've had a pretty dark couple of weeks looking at the future of artificial intelligence um which i, I 
wouldn't recommend people to to spend too much time looking into if they want to be optimistic about life. But um, I was like, right, I'm going to cut my screen time. So I was at about four hours, which I thought was pretty sad because that is one of the seven days a week that I'm spending looking at my phone. I was like, well, tech is the problem here. Tech is the reason I'm not continuing to write my book. Mm. Tech is the reason that I'm not making a lot of content for the podcast. It's, it's, it's the tech. As soon as I cut down my screen time, I realized that my juggling balls had come back out and I just picked up the ukulele again. And there are all of these other things that I'm doing to sort of move away from pain and mm. just, just get away from that discomfort, which I think you talk about in the book is about um, distraction and traction. Right. And the exactly. sort of the, right. the link between the two. Um, so would, would you be just be able to touch on that? Sure, absolutely. So this is really where we have to start with un, uh, our, you know, our, our understanding of how do we become indistractable is to first define what we mean by distraction. And it's a term that uh, I thought I understood the meaning of, but I really didn't. Uh, so it's important to define. So the best way to know if you understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. So if you ask most people, what is the opposite of distraction, right? Think for yourself, if you're listening here, what's the opposite of distraction? The opposite of distraction is focus, right? Wrong. The opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction, traction and distraction. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us, but rather it is an action that we take. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you to what you said you were going to do, things that you do with intent, things that help you live closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become, those are acts of traction. The opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from what you said you were going to do, further away from your values, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. This is really important. This isn't just semantics because I would argue that any action can be traction or distraction based on one word, and that one word is intent. Okay, so the time you plan to waste, as Timothy Parker said, is not wasted time. So part of the problem, I think, is that we moralize and medicalize our free time. And there's nothing wrong with the way people spend their time. It's not up for me or you or anyone else to tell people how they spend their time if they're not hurting anyone else and they're not breaking the law. What's wrong with it? And we moralize and medicalize. We say, oh, social media, video games, watching television, that's bad. But uh, watching a soccer game or watching a football game on TV, okay, that's somehow morally okay. <laughs> what, yeah. What's the hierarchy? If you want to play a video game versus watch someone else play and you're sitting there passively drinking your beer, I, I can't tell the difference. There's nothing no. wrong with it. And yet we love moralizing and medicalizing uh, people's pastimes. And that's really dangerous because you know we, we, we shouldn't feel guilty about scrolling Facebook or you know, watch YouTube videos or playing video games if that's what brings us joy and if it's consistent with our values and we do it with on our schedule versus yeah. someone else's schedule, there's nothing wrong with it. We shouldn't have guilt about it. So those are acts of traction because you decided in advance what you want to do with your time. Now, conversely, anything can be distraction. And this is actually, I think is going to come to, as a surprise to a lot of people that just because something is a work related task doesn't mean it's not distracting. Just because you feel like you're being productive can still be a distraction. Let me give an example. For years, I would sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, I'm going to get to work. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to uh, lose focus. I'm going to get to work here. Nothing's going to stand in my way. I'm not going to procrastinate. Here I go. I'm going to get started on that big project that I said I was going to do this morning. 
but first let me check some email, right? Let me just scroll that Slack channel real quick. Let me just do the other hundred things I need to do. You know, the other things on my to-do list, the easy tasks, the, the urgent work, as opposed to the hard and important work I know I needed to do to move my life and my career forward. So just because something is a work-related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. If it's not what you said you were going to do with that period of time, it is by definition a distraction. And I think it's an even worse, more dangerous form of distraction because most people don't even realize it's happening. Say, well, yeah. it's a work-related task. I got to check email at some point today, or I got to do whatever. Uh, and they don't realize that that is not what they said they were going to do with their time. And therefore, it is a distraction. So that's the most pernicious, dangerous form of distraction. So anything can be traction. Anything can be distraction, as long as it, it, it depends on that one word, intent. Yeah, I really like that because I think a lot of people, especially those who are quite focused on personal development, better themselves, learning more, they can feel really guilty for even having it planned in at the end of the day, watching TV. It's like, I'm not doing anything that's pushing me forward. Why? Why am I not doing it? But to have it the way you put it, it's traction if you plan it in or make time for right. it and doing it on your own time. I really like that because I think it's eating people from the inside. I am I'm not a researcher like yourself. I can't back it up. A lot of my claims are wild out there and most likely wrong. But I think I think a lot of people are getting getting impacted by this guilt of not doing something productive, yeah. quote unquote, because because it's not moving them towards a goal. But I suppose the way that you're looking at it is saying it's like, no, that is it doesn't have to be goal oriented, but it's 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 okay. It's there. It's it's serving a purpose. Right, right. So, so you know, it, it, I think this is so important too because I, I think very few people listening right now have actually experienced the bliss, pleasure, what real leisure feels like because they're constantly thinking to themselves, I should be doing something else, yeah. right? Like how ironic is that? That even <laughs> when we have the time to enjoy ourselves and watch TV or be with our family or do whatever you want, you're still thinking about that stupid to-do list. By the way, we can talk about why to-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. But this is, this is one of the flaws. Is that, what's that? I'm excited. I definitely will ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can definitely talk about that. Because, you know, if, but if you plan your time, if, if you say, I will watch a movie from this time to this time, I am going to play video games, I'm going to do whatever, that's on your calendar. If that's something you plan for, it is traction. It doesn't matter what that activity is, as long as it's aligned with your values and your schedule. Do it. Enjoy it without guilt. Yeah, I like that. And just going back to what you said about people not sort of being present, it reminds me of a Dan Harris quote. It's like, if you one foot in the future and one foot in the past, you piss on the present. <laughs> That's, <very apt>. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, to-do lists. Let's, let's go into those. What, what's the beef with to-do lists? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to be clear, I'm not against writing things down on a piece of paper, keeping a list of, of things you're going to do in an app. That's fine. What I'm against is running your life on a to-do list. That's the problem. Yeah. So if you wake up in the morning and you look at your to-do list before you look at your calendar, you're done. You messed up. Okay, you've already lost the war. Yeah. So to-do lists have a lot of problems with them. Number one, if you just make a to-do list without putting that time on your schedule, here's what happens. To-do lists, the main problem is that they have no constraints. Okay, so to-do list, there's no end. There's no bottom to a to-do list. So you can add more and more and more and more. So here, what, here's what happens. This is what happened to me day after day. I call this the tyranny of the to-do list. It's that feeling of when you get home, you've been working all day, you feel like you've, you've done a lot of stuff, and yet you look at your to-do list at the end of the day, and you still haven't finished everything you said you were going to do. So what toll does that take on our psyche when day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you 
are confirming for yourself that you are not capable of doing what you said you were going to do. Loser. That's so self-efficacy that problem. Take, exactly. It starts to take a very uh, a corrosive toll on our, our self-efficacy, on our self-worth, on our belief in what we're capable of. And so that's when you hear people saying stupid things like, oh, I'm no good at time management. I have a short attention span. You hear them you know, d- deciding that they are somehow broken when they're not broken. It's the stupid to-do list system that's broken. So what's a much better system than keeping a to-do list is using a time box calendar. And this isn't a technique I invented. It's uh, something I'm a proponent of because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you have the most beautiful uh, comprehensive to-do list, but a white calendar with nothing on it, you can't say you got distracted. Because what did you get distracted from? If I can't look at your calendar and say, ah, you plan to do this, but you didn't, you can't say you got distracted. Everything is a distraction unless you know how you want to spend your time. And I'm talking about every minute of the day. Somebody's, oh, that's so rigid. How can I do that? Uh, wah, wah, wah. You know, I, I need spontaneity. Too, okay, too bad. <laughs> right? like, if, you are, are, if, if you are complaining, if you have this problem in your life, you feel like you are not being your best self. You're not doing the things you know you can and should do with your life to have the kind of life you deserve then this is this is what we have to do to to, to be you know grown-ups <laughs> you know maybe, yeah. maybe children and retirees don't have to do this but if, if you have a problem with like i certainly did of knowing that you're capable of more and somehow you're not doing the things you said you were going to do reading the books exercising eating healthfully spending time with family whatever it is that you are not able to compel yourself to do the only way to get out of that uh is to make sure that you know the difference between traction and distraction for every minute of your days but to-do list doesn't help you do that Right. It just is more and more and more tasks for you to do without actually uh, putting the time in place for when you're going to do it. So that's that's one problem with to do this. Another problem with to do list is uh, is that because there, there are no constraints, because, you know, in addition to the fact that it uh, uh, erodes your self-image, it, it teaches you that you're incapable of, of finishing a task. It measures the wrong thing that uh, because to do lists are all about checking off cute little boxes. Yeah. Uh, it turned out what studies find is that when when people focus only on do, finishing those to do those uh, cute little boxes, they tend to do the easy stuff. They tend to do the urgent stuff as opposed to the important hard work they have to do. So a much better way to to measure yourself is not based on how many cute little boxes you checked off every day, but rather based on this new metric, which is did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? That's it. Notice it didn't say finish. Okay, it's not about yeah. finishing anything. It's about, did I do what I said I was going to do? Even if it's, you know, watch television, <laughs> did I do that for as long as I said I would without distraction? And it turns out the people who use that technique actually finish more, right? So the people who say, I'm going to work on this blog post, I'm going to finish this project, I'm going to finish that proposal, whatever the case might be, I'm going to do it for 30 yeah. minutes or whatever the time slot might be without distraction, they actually finish more than the to-do list people. Because the to-do list people can say, okay, I'll work on it for five minutes and then this ping and ping distracted me and then I got this thing to do and this thing. And they don't actually finish those things as much as the people who just say, look, I'm going to work on this one thing without distraction and, and, and that's how I'm going to measure my efficacy. Yeah, I like that. I think a lot, a lot of people do get overwhelmed by the task as a whole and forget that it's you can work on something. You don't just have to finish it in one sitting. And I, I'm, I'm trialing the whole time-blocked calendar 
thing this week. I, I've been guilty of being one of those people who's like, time management doesn't work for me. And then all of a sudden I'm on my third walk of the day for no reason other than I'm just avoiding doing things. So this week I'm, I'm putting a real focus on just, like you say, doing what I said I'm, I'm going to do, which is the, the tasks that are on my calendar. And from someone who quite openly is, has hated calendars all, all my life, I'm quite enjoying it. I'm on day two, mm. so it's early to say, but I felt like I did a lot more yesterday. I felt a greater sense of accomplishment. And I think from being someone who can, can feel quite guilty for not doing enough, I felt all right, which is a very strange feeling for me to get at the end of the day. So this, uh, the calendar usage it does it does work um so you'll you'll be pleased to hear that that it's not it's not just yeah. you that it's working for um Excellent. do you no, use like a particular app or well bef before we get to that there's one that we skipped actually the first step and it's the most important step and if you re rewind the audio for what you just said you'll be you, you you will hear a lot of emotion in what you said right so yeah. we have to back up one step before get into uh you know making time for traction that's kind of a a, a, a a it's a very well studied technique it's called making implementation intention there are thousands of studies that show this is the way to do it of course a lot of people don't like to do it but why don't they like to do it because it's, it takes some effort right well guess yeah. what everything in life worth having takes a little bit of effort <laughs> yeah. right uh and and so that's the part that 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 we need to understand is that you know good things don't always come easily uh, that that yeah. having good health, having good relationships, uh, being productive at work, making an impact on the world, it, it takes some effort. <laughs> so all yeah. I'm asking you to do is, is to make sure you have that time in your calendar. Before you do that, we have to ask ourselves, well, why don't we do those things? If we know we need to do this, that, or the other, you know, kind yeah. of like what you were saying, you found yourself on the third walk of the day. Why? Why is that? And so we need to back up one step. What we didn't talk about are triggers. So we know we have yes. traction and we have distraction. But we have to ask ourselves, what prompts us to take those actions? What prompts us to take those actions are what we call triggers. There are two kinds of triggers. We have external triggers and we have internal triggers. External triggers are the usual suspects, right? The pings, the dings, the rings, all the things in our outside environment that can lead us towards traction or distraction. Now, yeah. that's what people tend to blame for distraction. They tend to think, oh, I want to work on that big project, but then I got distracted because my iPhone rang or something like that. But that only accounts, studies find, for 10% of the time that we get distracted. Only 10% of the time that you go wow. off track is because of an external trigger. So what's the other 90%? The other 90% of the time that we get distracted, it's not because of an, internal, or an external trigger. It's because of what we call an internal trigger. What are internal triggers? Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. Okay? Boredom, yep. fatigue, uncertainty. A uh, fear, loneliness, stress, anxiety. This is the cause of 90% of the times that we get distracted. So the first place to start, step number one, has to be mastering those internal triggers or they become our masters. Now, yeah. if, if you think about it really hard, the reason we don't do what we say we're going to do overwhelmingly, right? This is what studies find again and again. The number one reason is we don't feel like doing it. Yeah. Right. I don't feel like going to the gym right now. I don't feel like working on that big project. I don't feel like it. <laughs> so what it is, is a feeling. 
right? But we can master these feelings. They don't have to become our masters. We can overcome those internal triggers by first realizing it's not the stuff happening outside of you, for God's sakes. It's what's happening yeah. inside our own heads. It's our constant need to escape these uncomfortable sensations. So whether it's too much news, too much food, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you are always going to find an escape from something unless you know what it is you are trying to escape from. So that has to be step number one. Yeah, that is, uh, it's unlike the human race to, to use something as a scapegoat, isn't it? Something, something external to blame for our problems. <laughs> like right, blame, right. And, and look, some escapes are okay. Right. D- diversions are perfectly fine. I've got nothing, uh, nothing against uh, going to a movie and diverting your attention from reality uh, because it's fun. Right. It's entertaining. We pay for the privilege to be manipulated and, and let our brains go somewhere else. If we read a good book, it takes into, into another place. Uh, if we go to the pub with our mates and we drink a few, it's fun to have a little buzz. Like there's nothing wrong with diversions of attention. There is something wrong with distraction. Right. Distraction is always bad. Diversion can be great. It's distraction. When we say we're going to do one thing. And we end up doing something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with with the triggers, and then we we've moved, we skipped those to begin with. What would the next step be in terms of becoming indistractable? Yeah, step number one is master those internal triggers, and there's about a dozen different techniques you can use to do that. So so the idea here is to have uh, all kinds of arrows in your quiver ready to go so that when you feel these uncomfortable emotional states, you know what to do about them. So there've been several studies around visioning, right? So we've we heard this in some new age, you know, mysticism type stuff. Yeah. If you just vision your future, right? Like the, it'll the come to you. Secret. <laughs> the oh, universe the secret, will yeah. arrange itself. <laughs> what a load of bunk that is. Uh, <laughs> and it actually shows that it's actively harmful. Did you know that? That, that if you actually, Oh, that is music yourself, to my ears. Yeah, it's terrible. It's actually actively harmful. So it studies fine when you say to yourself, oh, you know, I, I want to be in that uh, bikini or, you know, get that beach body uh, and I'm going to envision myself, you know, with a six pack abs or I want wealth. So I'm going to envision myself with a big bank account that actually makes you m- less likely to reach those goals because you're giving yourself this immediate reward and it makes you less likely to actually do the work to get the reward. So uh, vision yes. is the outcome actually actively harmful. What is helpful is visioning what you will do when something potentially takes you off track, when you're tempted to not do the thing you know you need to do to get the outcome. So for example, if you're trying to lose weight, don't vision yourself with the beat body, vision yourself, envision what you will do when someone offers you that piece of chocolate cake at a dinner party that you're trying to avoid. If you're trying to save money, don't envision being wealthy someday. Envision what you will do when you're tempted uh, at the supermarket to make that impulse buy or to have, you know, to go for another round of drinks or whatever the case might be, whatever your temptations might be. Yeah. What will you do when you're likely to get distracted? So that's what mastering these internal triggers are all about. It's about thinking to yourself in advance, right? The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That's my mantra for this book. The antidote to, for impulsiveness is forethought. There is no yeah. distraction we can't overcome as long as we plan in advance, as long as we know what we will do when the time arrives. So the difference between a distracted person and an indistractable person is that an indistractable person knows what they will do the next time distraction uh, you know, rears its ugly head, as opposed to the distractible person, they keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. Poelo Coelho, he had a wonderful quote. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. 
A mistake yeah. repeated more than once is a decision. How many times can we blame YouTube and Facebook and Instagram for distracting us before we say enough? <laughs> okay, yeah. I know these tools are designed to manipulate us. Does anybody not know that that's the media's job is to capture our attention and sell it to advertisers? Wake up, we all know this. What are you gonna yeah. do about it now? You're gonna sit there passively and let people control your attention? You're gonna say enough, I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna become indistractable. Yeah. So, so what's what would be the uh, one of the methods that you would say? I know you can always just say no to stuff, and you, you can visualize. But for people who particularly struggle with impulse control, who who yeah, aren't quite at the point of taking responsibility just yet, what what would be an actionable step for them to be able to take whilst in one of their time sure. block calendars, ready to face yeah. something potentially distracting? So there are dozens of different tools you can use. And I describe many of them in the book. One of my favorite techniques is, is actually goes against a little bit of what you just said. Don't want to just say no. <laughs> so studies find that, that abstinence tends to backfire. So the traditional advice is just don't do it, right? Just say no. Yeah. It's like pulling on a rubber band. Yep. You pull on a rubber band, you pull, 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 pull. Eventually you can't pull anymore. And when you let go of the rubber band, it doesn't go back to where it started. No, it ricochets across the room. And so that's what it's like when you tell yourself not to do something, right? And don't eat the chocolate cake. Don't smoke the cigarette. Don't check Facebook. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And when you finally let go, that relief from the tension of telling yourself not to do something is itself perceived as pleasurable. Because now you don't have that stress, the pain of telling yourself not to do something. So you don't want to tell yourself no. You want to tell yourself not yet. Big difference. Because okay. not yet preserves self-agency. Okay. You are in control. It's not, no, don't do it. If you do, you're bad, right? It's, I can do it, but not right now. So what this implements is called the 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule says that you can give in to any distraction. You can have that piece of chocolate cake. You can check Facebook. You can go on YouTube. Whatever is potentially distracting you, you can give in to that temptation, but in 10 minutes. Not right now, in 10 minutes. So what you do... And I do this almost every single day because you know writing for me has never become a habit. Writing is hard work. I've written two bestsellers and thousands of articles. It's always hard. All I want to do is go check email or Instagram or do yeah. anything but the writing because it's hard freaking work. <laughs> and that I'm full of emotions. To like, yeah, I'm, I'm full of anxiety and stress and uncertainty. It's hard work. And yeah. when I feel that temptation to do something else that's not the writing, here's what I'll do. Take out my phone. I'll say, set a timer for 10 minutes. I'll put the phone down. And now I have a, a choice to make. I can either get back to the task at hand, continue with the writing, or do what psychologists call surf the urge yep. for those 10 minutes. Okay. So surfing the urge involves self-talk. And I teach you how to do this in the book, this kind of self-talk to help you surf that urge, surf that sensation, because urges, these feelings in the moment, they feel like they're going to last forever, but of course they never do, right? These emotions are transitory. So if you can ride that emotion like a wave, like a surfer on a yeah. surfboard, you will find that by the time those 10 minutes are up, you won't have that urge anymore. So you can either get back to the task at hand at any time or continue to surf the urge. And what you will find nine times out of 10, by the time those 10 minutes are up, you no longer have that urge. And of course, the, the strategy here is to extend the 10-minute rule. After you practice the 10-minute rule a few times, it becomes the 12-minute rule and the 15-minute rule. And what you're doing is proving to yourself, hey, you know what? I can resist temptation. I am pretty good at this. I do have agency and efficacy here. And so that's the training process to, to help you master those internal triggers. And again, that's one of over a dozen different techniques we can use. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's kind of like a progressive overload, which is just going to instill your sense of self-belief, which of course, when you're trying to beha- like change any behavior, if you don't believe in yourself, like you're, you're pretty fucked. <laughs> right. Um, That's right. You see this all the time. Yeah. That people have all these self-limiting beliefs, which are so dangerous. I, I have poor self-control. I'm a, I have poor time management skills. I have a short attention span. I'm a Sagittarius. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a broccoli. Every reason. Yeah, exactly. There's so many reasons that people are just, you know, so convinced that somehow they're they're broken in some way. And it's not that they're broken, it's that they've never learned the right techniques that they use are broken. They just never learned how to uh, handle these these uncomfortable emotional states in a healthy way that leads them towards traction rather than distraction. Yeah, it's um, another case of just labels just being really, really unhelpful. I, th- I think you've you've pulled from that. I go to an ACT therapist. I think that's You've, you've referenced act therapy in, yeah. in the book, I believe, at some point. And surfing the urge is something that I've had to learn to use. And over the last couple of years since we're going to therapy, like it's it's been going a lot better for different parts of my life. Obviously, it's always going to be a work in progress, but just being able to surf that urge and, and using that kind of analogy of it, it's like actually all waves, no matter how big they are, disappear. That's right. That's right. And it's, I think it's that's so a nice way to look at it. We don't know that. We don't. We don't somehow when we're angry, we feel like we're always going to be angry, yeah, yeah. right? Or we're, when we're sad, or even when we're happy, we feel like we're always going to feel that way. And of course, it's never the case, right? All the, these emotions are transitory; they all pass. Yeah, we we love to bias for the present moment. Um, mm-hmm. in in terms of willpower, so that that ten minutes, you you'd like to progressive overload it, twelve minutes, fifteen minutes, half an hour, until the one point that you're sort of indistractable one day. Do you do you think it? is possible to reach a point when you're completely indistractable or is it a case of you're in this for the long run these are the tactics that you're going to use and like this is the best possible practice but you'll never be perfect yeah so so the nice part about making up a word so i made up the word indistractable right i coined the term (laughs) so i can define it any way i want so becoming indistractable doesn't mean you never get distracted i still get distracted from time to time But again, the difference is a distractible person keeps getting distracted by the same things again and again and again, whereas an indistractable person says, wait, okay, you distracted me once. Now I know know, what was at the bottom of that distraction, and I'm going to make sure I do something today to not get distracted tomorrow. So there's only three sources of every distraction. It's either an internal trigger, an external trigger, or a planning problem. That's it. So once you have this framework, once you understand traction, distraction, external triggers, internal triggers, you can actively do something about it. Say, okay, you, get, you got me that one time Instagram or television or kids or dog or whatever distracted you. How can I make sure that doesn't happen next time? Okay. Yeah, I like that. Um, and you, you speak in the book about willpower depletion and, and the myth of that. Would you be able to speak on that? Yeah, sure. So this is another one of those self-limiting beliefs. Um, this is this idea that willpower is a depletable resource. And this got quite a bit of, of, of press back in the day when it came out, this idea that uh, willpower is like a gas in a gas tank, right? It's like battery charge that uh, you run out of willpower. And uh, I used to, even though I didn't know the term ego depletion, I, I used to act uh, as if it existed. I I would come home from work and I would say, oh, it's been such a hard day today. Uh, I need to relax. I deserve a, a pint of ice cream and I'm going to watch Netflix, right? Because yeah. I'm spent, right? Notice yeah. that word spent. I'm out. And so uh, that, that mindset is, is, is a very popular notion that, you know, you run out of willpower, that you exhaust it. And uh, there was some research that actually backed this up. 
that showed that you know you could replenish willpower uh, by drinking sugar sweetened lemonade. Well, what oftentimes happens in the in the social sciences is that when a study sounds too good to be true, we replicate it. Right? Other yeah. uh, academics they run the study again. It turns out, as far as we know, that these studies don't replicate. That yeah. ego depletion is a myth. That it's not true that you run out of uh, willpower like gas in a gas tank, uh, except for one group of people. That the work of Carol Dweck, you might be familiar with her book yeah. Mindset, which is a wonderful book. But her her research showed that in fact there there is a group of people who do really have this ego depletion effect. They really do run out of willpower like gas in a gas tank. And those people, and only those people, are people who believe that willpower is a limited resource. <laughs> so if you believe you are spent, it's true. That's it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's one of these limiting beliefs. You know, another very popular limiting belief is that we're addicted to technology. Yeah. And we love this narrative, right? Oh, it's Zuckerberg doing it to us. It's the technology companies doing it. They're controlling our brains. They're hijacking our minds. Well, yeah, if you believe that's the case, and of course that's what happens because you're not going to yeah. do anything about it. Whereas <laughs> if you say, wait a minute, yeah, these things are fun, they're interesting, they're engaging, but I'm not addicted. Maybe I'm distracted. But people don't like using that language because, no, if it's a distraction, who do I blame? <laughs> right? Like now yeah. I got to do something about it. And so it's very important that we use these terms correctly. You know, we, we don't want to moralize and medicalize uh, these behaviors that, that the vast majority of us can deal with effectively if yeah. we know how. Yeah, definitely. And there's no studies suggesting people getting withdrawals from taking a break from Instagram, I imagine. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that uh, there was a study done recently, uh, a little bit tongue in cheek, but there were some researchers who were so sick and tired of this medicalizing of normal everyday behavior that they actually did a study about how uh, a very uh, common behavior is highly addictive. And that behavior is friendships. Forming friendships uh, hallmark all the key factors of addiction. When you don't, when you're not around your friends, you feel bad, right? Those are withdrawal sy symptoms. When you are uh, with your friends, you want to be with them more, right? It's accelerating. You need more yeah. to, to stay happy, right? All these, you know, you, you, when you're not with them, you think about them a lot. You have intrusive thoughts about your friends. Well, <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't mean it's an addiction. <laughs> it's normal, yeah. healthy behavior. So it's no surprise that. You know, when you don't use Instagram and Instagram is how you connect with your, your friends, uh, yeah, you're going to miss it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's an addiction. Uh, an addiction is a persistent compulsive dependency on a behavior or substance that harms the user. So unless you really can't stop, despite the fact that you're trying, uh, you probably don't have an addiction. An addiction affects about 3 to 5% of the population. And look, people get addicted to all sorts of things, right? Uh, alcohol is way more addictive than anything you could possibly use on your on your uh, uh, phone. And yet yeah. only about three to 5% of the population is alcoholic, right? Not everyone yeah. who had a glass of wine with dinner is an alcoholic. Uh, many people can you know, have a drink and they're not alcoholics. So it's ridiculous to think that just because uh, you know, a technology addicts some people, which it most certainly does, doesn't mean that it's addicting everyone. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's maybe it's people kind of hi hiding from the fact that they may just be obsessed. And it's not nice to admit that to yourself that you're obsessed with the internet and the lives of other people. <laughs> yeah, or you like it a lot. And you no, know, every generation has had this, right? We used to say the, say the exact same stuff 
about television, right? Yeah. <laughs> about how it was melting people's brain and comic books. I mean, literally verbatim what people are saying about uh. social media today, people said about comic books and the radio and, you know, all the way back to the written word, uh, Socrates uh, bemoaned this terrible technology of writing things down, how terrible this technology was because it was going to enfeeble men's minds is what he said. And to some extent, they're right. Every technology has a price. Of course it does. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn to adapt to these new technologies and adopt new technologies to fix the last generation of technology. And so that's that's what I'm advocating for is to is to have a a, a, a nuanced relationship as opposed to good versus evil, black and white, tech good, tech bad. That's silly. It's not that's not realistic. Yeah, yeah. There's the, you miss a lot of the nuance when you take a a, a firm stance on either the good or the bad side um, with it. Yeah. So earlier we were we were going to go into the calendar thing how much of your time is blank space on, on a calendar for you as like the the example of of the indistractable yeah so none of it there's no blank time now that doesn't mean i don't have time for fun right that yeah. doesn't mean i'm trying to be a, an automaton all day i schedule time for social media i schedule time for my family i schedule time for exercise i schedule time for the things that are important to me there's no white space because again if you you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. And if you yeah. don't plan your day, somebody's going to plan it for you, right? Your phone, your boss, your kids, something's going to tell you what to do with your time unless you decide in advance how you plan to spend it. So you can certainly plan time for even spontaneity. I'll give you an example. This sounds like an oxymoron, right? How can you have planned yeah. spontaneity? But look, every week I have four hours with my daughter, right? Every weekend. Yeah. And we don't know what we're going to do that time, Okay. We might go to ice cream. We might go to the park. We might go, you know, fly a kite. We might do all kinds of, I don't even know what we're going to do, but I know what I will not be doing. I will not be checking my phone. I will not be taking a call. I will not be on social media because that time is reserved for her. So the fact that I have time schedule on my calendar, I don't know what I'm going to do at that time, but I know what I will not be doing with that time. And that's why it's so important to, to make sure that you have that white face schedule for the things you want to do. Even if it is take a walk, meditate, pray, play video games, it doesn't matter. I don't care what you do with your time. I want you to help. I want to help you do what you want to do with your time. Yeah. I like that. And um, do you schedule in everything like WhatsApps? Like you're like, right, check and check and reply to WhatsApp. Is it? Is it yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Why, why not? And so here's another one of the benefits. We talked about why to-do lists suck. One of the reasons yeah. that to-do lists are so terrible is what's called the planning fallacy. So the planning fallacy has shown that people way underestimate how long something will take. On average, it takes people three times longer to do something than they estimate it will take them. And wow. part of the reason this happens is so much is because with a to-do list, there's no feedback. Right. So you put something on your to-do list and there's no mechanism to tell you well, how long that task actually take. Whereas if you put the time in your calendar, you say, okay, uh, check up on WhatsApp. Okay. Well, yeah. if you don't decide in advance how much time you want to spend doing that, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's three hours. How do you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. If you say, uh, write that report, you know, finish the blog post, uh, finish that paper, whatever the case might be. If you don't have that time planned, you have no idea how much you're spending on it. So you're not getting better at predicting how long the task will take you. So for example, email. If you're not careful, email will fill up you know, every crevice of your, of, of your day yeah. uh, as opposed to if you plan the time. You say, okay, you know what? How much time in my day would the person I want to become spend on email? Okay, 90 minutes. Great. So you plan that out for tomorrow. You abide by that time and you see, was 90 minutes enough or you know, was it too much? Was it too little? And then the next day you can adjust it. 
right? But you don't adjust it in the moment. You adjust it for the next day. You never change the time box calendar in the day. So, yeah. so to answer your question earlier, how do you become indistractable? It's not just about one technique. There's no magic bullet. It's about four key strategies. Mastering the internal triggers, that's number one. Make time for traction, that's number two. Number three is hack back the external triggers. We didn't have time to talk about. That's where you actually go in. It's very practical. You make sure you don't have all those pings, things, and rings that yeah. are leading you towards distraction, not just on our phones. What about all the distractions that come from stupid meetings that you didn't need to attend or email or your kids? <laughs> all yeah. these things can be distractions. So we can hack back the external triggers. And then finally, the fourth and final step, which is incredibly important, is preventing distraction with pacts. And so this is where we have a, a what we call a pre-commitment device, where we decide in advance that we will have a firewall to prevent us from getting distracted. So it's really about these four strategies in concert. You can't just do one or two and expect it to work. You have to yeah. use these four steps, but you can do something very small in each one of these steps. I mean, this is something anybody can do in you know, an hour or two, and it will absolutely change your life. Yeah. I really like it. And I was actually, I was going to say, where do you stand on notifications? But I'd, 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 I'd imagine not many of them get through to your to your home screen on your phone i'm i'm really trying to work on that at the moment i've turned whatsapp notifications off the only thing i actually have and you'll be quite pleased to hear that is the calendar it comes up as a notification um so Excellent. yeah I'm, I'm definitely trying that i think i think it's about time even after talking to you i'm gonna have to have to reread the book because well you've sold you've sold it to me and i'm, and I'm sure there are a lot of other people <laughs> listening like right actually maybe it's time that i do shoulder some responsibility and and take back what is theirs and the most precious thing, which, which is their time. That's right. Their time and their attention. Yeah. That's something you definitely want to control because that's truly how we control our life. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Nick, where can people find you? You've mentioned your blog. I'll, I'll put links for everything in, in the description, but where, where's the best place for people to follow your work and, and get your work? Sure. So my blog is at nearandfar.com. So that's N-I-R and far near like my first name. And uh, if you go to near and far, there's all kinds of resources there. You can subscribe to my, more, my work. If you go to indistractable.com, indistractable is spelled I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E. So indistractable. Uh, there's actually a free 80 page workbook there that you can download that wow. uh, we couldn't fit into the final edition of the book, but it's available now for uh, it's complimentary. Anybody who wants it can get it. And uh, the book again is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Um, amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. That. I think that's going to be so helpful for a lot of the listeners of this podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to that episode of the podcast. Hopefully you got as much from that conversation as I did. That episode of the podcast was also sponsored by Heights. Heights are a brain care supplement company. It's not something I ever think I'd be taking, but I take Heights every day and I have done so for the last three months. They have fully nourished my brain, which is something I don't tend to do myself on my diet. I like to cut things out which is why I feel I'm now sleeping better, my anxiety is reduced, and on the topic of this podcast, my focus is better. I know it's something that we all deal with. I know that there are slight gains to be made, and taking a supplement is a really simple way of doing it. And we like to keep things simple. All of the research, all of the information is on their website. There is a link in the description of this episode. And if you choose to subscribe, just use the code need to read. You get 10% off any subscription. It is better to subscribe. It makes it quite a bit cheaper and it can work out at just one pound a day 
to get your brain fully nourished, which I would say is a pretty fair deal. Now, everything you will need for Nir Eyal, his website, his links to his book, links to his articles that are quite important as well, that is in the description of this episode. And just a quick update from me, I will be running a webinar pre-Christmas and post-Christmas just to see how we can head into the new year and everyone be better readers and feel motivated, fired up and ready to go. Because all of a sudden I've started to believe in myself and I've got some good stuff to tell people. So if you'll be interested in that, don't have to let me know, but I'll let you know when it comes out. Sign up to my email list, follow me on Instagram, you'll be able to keep up to date with everything there. Anyway, you're all absolute legends. Thank you so much for listening. Love you, bye.